By now, you've probably heard about the need for businesses to embrace digital transformation. Analysts in almost every industry, especially in manufacturing, are pointing to it as one of the biggest steps a business can take and one of the most dominant emerging trends of the last few years. And if you're a manager, a director, a team leader, you probably already have it on your radar. You probably already have it in your long-term goals. You're probably already thinking about it. And that's great. But now what? Moving your team towards digitization is an incredibly valuable step to take, but it's also a process. It's one that can be daunting, complex, and if applied without a plan, it's one that can lead to a lot of friction and headaches and honestly just wasted potential. Teams need to be aligned on their goals, processes, and the benefits of digital transformation for it to really be successful. And the thing is, that always starts with a leader. I'm Jeff Stormer, and this is Ahead of the Curve, a podcast about Salesforce technology at work, produced by Jaren, a summit-level Salesforce implementation partner and solutions provider. This episode, we're taking a top-down look at digital transformation and at how managers and directors can lead the charge and drive real, boots-on-the-ground change within their organizations. Our guest is Anandi Narayanan, Jaren's Senior Vice President of Strategy and Business Transformation and Manufacturing. Anandi brings 17 years of manufacturing experience, not just with technology, but with the people and processes that can lead to real, meaningful change. Her background with both Salesforce as well as people-focused transformation through strategies such as Lean and Six Sigma give her some incredible insights into the way that teams can transform their behaviors and shape the business in turn. We start our conversation appropriately enough with a discussion of what she sees as the starting point for managers and directors looking to kickstart the digital transformation process. I really think, and not enough people spend enough time doing this, but define it. What is it that we're trying to improve? You know, there's a visceral or a gut reaction we might have that says, I know things aren't working really well, so therefore it has to be better. But we always don't necessarily take the time to think about what is better and specifically what isn't working. And can we quantify or put better words around it's bad or it's not working and provide that color around it so that people understand what you know, good looks like versus where we're at and sort of setting the targets or setting the standards or setting where we're trying to head. So, you know, as I alluded to earlier in my career, I learned a lot about Six Sigma and Lean. And one of the things I loved about Lean was just the simplicity by which they articulate a problem and attempt to define it, provide rationale or very much like a scientific mind, a hypothesis, which has to be educated and founded in something. So that then you can say, what are we going after? And so you can really bring everybody together to understand why we're doing what we're doing. Their format, they call it an A3 format. It's, it's a single piece of paper. It really forces you to critically think through all of that. And I just don't think a lot of people just go through that process, whether it's using tools like you have in Six Sigma, like fishbone diagrams, Pareto analysis, whatever it might be, or using any other tools in your toolkit, but breaking down the problem statement, defining the problem statement. And do we actually even have a grasp of the process that we're talking about operationalizing or transforming or making better? Because, you know, we might have it from a perhaps like an institutional knowledge perspective, but we've never really written it down. And we are actually not all on the same page about how we actually do it. And maybe people do a lot of things with sticky notes all over the place. So that's not really a a well-tuned process. So I personally say start with that. And if you have that, the only next layer, one of my bosses used to tell me is take one piece of data or one try at this. Try to connect it. Can you even connect one example? Because if you can't connect one example, 
there's no way we're doing the entire kit and caboodle. Right. It's just not going to happen, right? You've got to start with that one piece. It is the it is sort of the model of do a test. If the test works, then we can expand it. But if that test doesn't work, then your your problem starts much further up chain and you've really got to work through that from there. A hundred percent. And like you were saying, that really starts with people, right? Like that starts with yeah. it's 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 you might be able to recognize that there's a problem in place, but understanding the team around you and their needs and where they're seeing those problems, I think that's a you're dead right that that's like also like an essential step in figuring out and really kind of stepping through and saying, do we as a team really see the whole scope of this and can we identify where this problem lies? And though that varying perspective is really going to come together and make that identify where that problem area really lies. 100%. So what are the key areas that I should be focusing on as a leader to get my team ready to take on digital transformation? It's actually doing working sessions to get to that define it section, right? Let's all align and let's connect on the why. Why are we doing what are we doing and what is it that we're doing? So perhaps my definition of it, um, and I always like to start with something as opposed to a blank sheet of paper. So put something out there so we can react to it. And let's all react to it and get my leaders together to help react to that. Um, The other thing I would say is I don't necessarily only pick leadership team members to participate in this conversation because change to me happens at every part of the organization and change leaders occur at every part of the organization. And so I like to bring people forward who are advocates of the change, have been desperately wanting to do something differently, hear their voice and help them uh, participate in connecting with the why and defining it. And I also like to bring in some naysayers because you're never, ever going to get through anything without the folks who don't agree with what we're doing and getting them on side to help define it. And they may provide an interesting perspective of the problem as well. Perhaps they don't see the problem the same way you see the problem as. Perhaps we need to expand the problem. Perhaps we need to consider the problem in phases. But it's really important to get everybody together to rationalize that problem. So that's the first first thing. It doesn't mean that it takes a lot of time. You can actually do this in concentrated meetings where everyone's coming in with effective brainstorming. I do recommend facilitations because It's hard to facilitate a conversation and be in the conversation. So having that person to guide the conversation, hold us to time, hold us to outcomes, and sometimes force the hard discussions is really, really important. And then describing what success looks like. Again, it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to always be perfectly measured. Measurements are amazing. If you have a way to measure success numerically, that's the best way possible. But sometimes I find that paralyzes folks because they maybe don't have a measurement system. First of all, it's okay if you don't have a measurement system. Maybe that is a gap that we need to get to as we're defining this as one of the first things we have to go do. Let's do a study for the next three months and validate our hypothesis. Alternatively, if you don't have that time, put some words around it. There's, you know, or a picture. A picture is like a thousand words. Let us all get together to make sure we're all looking at the same thing and we're interpreting the same thing. For me, it's fascinating because words are just left with how you and I choose to interpret the meaning of those words. Often people think, well, I just use this word, they should understand, but we don't always interpret words with the exact same nuances as each other. And so I like to complement it with images. I like to complement it with numbers. I like to poke and prod at it also that it gets everybody thinking about it from sort of a 360 view but all of it is to drive in alignment. And then you get the what's in it for everybody to want to participate, right? And if people don't have a what's in it for me, you can't expect their enthusiasm either. 
So we, we gotta, we, we gotta grapple with some of this hard stuff first before we move down with everything else. So we've been grappling with the, with the sort of people aspect. We've been bringing people together. We've been getting perspectives. We've kind of been gathering the, the yays and the nays. At what point do you see as the right time to really start like looking at specific technology, specific solutions, specific opportunities to really like push that digital transformation to the next step? Yeah, it's also a really great question. So if we feel like we've nailed the process, we have a comprehensive sense of like this process, and I'm going to say the process is semi-stable, that's important as well, because it's a process has too much variation associated to it. I don't know what tool I can bring to bear in the market from the market that's going to make this any better. And you're just going to sink a lot of dollars in a failed activity. But assuming we've got that process nailed down, then it's really looking at what's not working within the process. And then are we using tools in manufacturing and distribution? You know, the most common tools people use are ERPs and then data warehouses or Excel spreadsheets, right? And Excel is everyone's gift because I can, you know, make it whatever I want it to make it uh, and manipulate it to whatever I need it to be, whatever I need it to do. So I start to look at, well, have we outgrown some of those? Where are tools working for us? And it's okay. They're working in a haphazard manner, but we're not still constrained. And where have we gotten some constraints? And that helps us focus and then figure out, are we going to now embark on looking at technology solutions that start to address those specific pain points. So it's it's sort of breaking those pieces down. Often Excel breaks for a lot of people, they've hit their limits. And it's really about understanding what the limits are and where are we trying to go. And again, it goes back to that measurement system then, right? So is Excel broken? Why? Okay, what is it causing us as an organization? These are the inefficiencies that I want to take away. So when I look for a tool, I actually know what success means for that tool in my tool selection criteria. Um, else, you know, it's very easy to be wowed by so many product tools that are out there and all the capabilities that they offer. It's not that they don't offer greatness, but they do, but we might not be ready to capitalize on it fully. So it's really making sure I have a deep understanding of the current processes and the current tools at place and where they're breaking to not support our business needs. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. That's a great answer. Thank you so much for that. So we've we've kind of put start to put those pieces in play, right? We've, we've, we've kind of identified the parts that aren't working. We've kind of identified what pieces, what solutions, what products we've kind of outgrown. We're we're ready to take that next step and really kind of like move into a new digital tool, a platform. As we are getting ready to make that move, what are the the data, the pieces of the puzzle that need to be in place before we make that step? Yeah, it's connecting then process and I think the data points, right? So here I have my process. I know we're going from A to B to C to D. What are the data elements that need to support that process? Again, there's a lot of tools in the toolkit that one could use. You can use traditional, you know, business process mapping. You can use SIPOC, which really looks at like supplier input process output. So you're really looking at the inputs and the outputs to every section of a process and making sure we're really clear about what that means. And when I say what that means, it's not just the activities, but the information that comes out of that activity and who needs that information. Some information needs to be documented. Some information doesn't need to be documented, right? So who needs it and for what purpose? Really making sure we have a at least a connected thread around all of that will allow, I believe, the organization to then go, hey, we're ready to launch. We have what we, ha- what we need in place. And we're actually ready to start to say we know what requirements we need to start to gather because we're all well-grounded in the not only the way we work, 
but the information that we rely on to do the work we need to do, both upstream and downstream. So it's not just my function, but I provide information to my downstream customers. They could be external or internal. And I receive information from my upstream suppliers, also external or internal. Do I do I have a clear sense of that entire thing? And do I have a sense of where we're beginning and ending? Because the value chain can be very large. We need to know where we're binding this transformation. Something really important to keep in mind when talking about digital transformation is exactly how scale factors into the equation. The way that an SMB approaches digitization is going to be much, much different than that of an enterprise. And understanding the difference between the two is really going to be key when evaluating the needs of a specific team and a specific organization. Here are Anandi's thoughts on the matter. So SMB organization, much more entrepreneurial, much more nimble. People have many hats that they wear. So, you know, you're negotiating with your left-hand side versus your right-hand side, because maybe you're procurement and you're also the buyer planner and uh, maybe you're also the operations head. So you're not really negotiating with a whole lot of people but yourself. So in that capacity, you probably can move faster in an SMB. However, SMBs also, because of limited um, experiences and limited staff don't maybe have all the experience that enterprises have because enterprises are usually laden with a lot of processes, have built a lot of operational efficiencies and have a lot of structure in place. And with that comes also a lot of experience about sort of best practices and what's worked and what hasn't worked. And SMBs wouldn't necessarily have a lot of those pieces. So on the SMB side, I might say, hey, we can probably bite off more because we have consensus building will be easier to achieve. So let's do more, but you probably need more guidance on what might good look like or what are best practices or what do peers like mine do so that uh, you're not repeating somebody else's mistakes, learning from other people's failures and, you know, being able to make the constructive and right decisions to move forward faster. Enterprises, on the other hand, you, it's harder because the beast is bigger. There's a lot of folks you're trying to build consensus around. You really need to have that assertive champion, in my opinion who is really accountable for the vision, who really strongly has a perspective and a point of view and is willing to be bullish in some capacity and, and break doors down and, and you know bring the organization forward. And uh, you do need to find a lot more, I think, change people throughout the organization. And I think it's also important to think about proactively identifying that, whether you want to call them your change ambassadors or your brand ambassadors or your initiative ambassadors you know, bringing them alongside because the enterprise is way bigger. And I also would think of enterprises in the capacity of, you know, they do also have to think big like the SMB and look at the entire picture, but they have to actually be a little bit thoughtful about where they're going to begin and how they're going to scale that transformation and how well they're going to effectively communicate it. Because, you know, a a team member might see some part of the transformation go live and wonder, wow, this was so short-sighted. And it's not that it was short-sighted. It was that the executives had a plan, but the plans actually only take two or three years to realize. But more often than not, we don't effectively communicate that plan. And folks think that, wow, I just have a bunch of leaders who are very short-sighted, who did something, and that something wasn't useful or added more work to my plate and things like that. Or in an SMB, I can control a little bit of that, right? Because the communication is within a smaller team of people. That makes uh, a world of sense. And I'm wondering if you could... Talk a little bit more, hearing you talk about the need for for champions, ambassadors. Uh, If I am a a leader, a manager, a director, I'm looking at my team. Do you have thoughts or questions or or things that that you might recommend? I I kind of look at the individual people to kind of say, this is my my champion and kind of 
how do I, once I've kind of identified that person, how do I kickstart that conversation and say, we really want to bring you in on this initiative and make this, you know, make this your project and make you the kind of champion of this, of this change that we're bringing on. Yeah, that's a great question too. So again, it goes back to, I think, like what's in it for me. So the champion has to have a what's in it for them. Often we see, you know, champions get promotions and things like that after implementing a successful digital transformation. So that could be a sub, that could be a what's in it for them, or maybe it's currently an unenabling them to achieve a strategy that they've been wanting to achieve. So again, that could be a what's in it for them. So really making sure that they see a gain from having uh, participated in sort of leading the charge, because we know it's going to be a tough charge. But the other piece of it is also making sure that they have the bandwidth and the ability to do that piece of work, right? You can't say that this is on top of your 40 or 50 hour work week. And on top of that, you're going to lead this digital transformation, because it's just not going to happen if if you're accountable to a whole other set of activities, uh, plus the digital transformation. So we have to make sure we're intentional about giving them the space. And sometimes that might be, I just can be on part of a steering committee as the champion, but I need delegates underneath me. And that's also fine. But those folks also need the space to be able to do that work properly. We're always begging and borrowing time from the business uh, to participate in a lot of these digital transformations. And their time is important, but we have to recognize that their time is fractional. They have a day job on top of which, you know, they're being asked to support requirements gathering or understanding um, where we're going or some training. And so you always need a person or a set of people who are uh, taking or shouldering all of that for them and saying, hey, let me be a strong business analyst where I will take what you're saying and I will be held accountable to understanding you and you don't have to attend every single meeting. I am your voice. But how do I become your voice? You have to trust me to be your voice. And part of earning trust to be your voice is maybe something like I own the adoption of this by you. So I'm going to make sure that you and I are really lockstep with each other, right? Organizations really have to think about that and making sure we have dedication and focus by certain team members. And that might mean we're not doing everything. So that's another important thing with all of these strategies. You can't do everything all at once. So you have to talk about what we are doing. And also talk about what we're not doing, because what we're not doing is also really important. You know, some people in my organization might say, hey, our e-commerce strategy has to be our number one thing. And I don't see us having any momentum on it. Well, because I may, may not, I'm actively choosing not to have momentum on it because I just don't have the capacity or people to be able to handle it. Or we have to decide what are we insourcing or outsourcing? Maybe I use consultants, but it's very, I, I clearly know why I'm picking the consultant. I need you to build this and you need to be acting as an internal employee for me and your role as a business analyst is actually to be one of our team members. But the more clear we become about all those things, the more clear we can disseminate roles and responsibilities, the more clear we can be feeling about the success of our digital transformation, the more clear we can be within our relationships with our partners and our ecosystem or extra team members, all of these types of things so that everyone doesn't feel like, you know, they've been treated unfairly or miscommunicated at. And, you know, that's where a lot of the stumbling blocks happen. And finally, we have to make sure we have an intentional comms strategy. So many times organizations don't think about the communication strategy, but that's so important. Why is an executive buying into this? Why, what are we expecting to do within Q1? What are we expecting to do within Q2? What's end game going to look like? Where do we want your participation in this journey? When can you give us feedback? When can you not give us feedback, right? When do you want to raise your hand, whether it's to volunteer and support, 
All those types of things are really, really important. And the larger the scale of the transformation, I think you also need to think about tying rewards and incentives for people to want to participate. If you participate, you get something out of it. Maybe the first to do something gets a reward. All these types of things are really important to just get excitement going. And I don't know that people think about it. They just think, oh, communications is an email that someone's going to send out. No, communications is way more than just an email that someone's going to send out. It's a very intentional plan. And it's a very curated set of emails, perhaps. And emails may not be the only way we communicate. Absolutely. Now, there's the, the I guess the final thing I really want to touch on is something you've, you've, you've touched on a few points throughout the interview, and that is... What do you see as sort of the common stumbling blocks of, you know, we've got a technology in place, we're ready to sort of embrace this digital transformation. I'm guiding my team through the process. I've got my champions in place. What do you see as sort of the the stumbling blocks in that process and how is I and how can I as a leader work to overcome them? Yeah, so that's great. So if you have some of the the steps we talked about already in place, additional stumbling blocks I would say that I see are a We try to shortcut things. So we say, hey, we don't really have to get to a robust set of user stories or anything like that. Let's just approximate the requirements and hope that someone can figure it out. You know, that's never really going to work. There's enough memes out there, you know, where someone's explaining something and the developer's building something totally different, right? So really making sure that we have clarity about what requirements look like and what we're actually building is super important. And those aren't things we should just um, sidestep. Making sure we are intentional around who we bring into demos, who we bring in for testing, all of those types of things. It's not just who's available and who has a heartbeat, but it's we're really thoughtful about the who's we want. As I said earlier, maybe you want some of the folks who are not interested and some of the folks who are really interested in this. Because if I can get a naysayer to be on board, there's nothing like that from a change and a transformation. So making sure we're thoughtful about who we want to bring into all these conversations. Ownership on adoption to me is absolutely paramount. And often, again, one of those things that people just, maybe no one wants to give that ownership to somebody because it's a scary thing to own, but it's the best thing to offer up somebody because the whoever owns adoption, they become the most accountable person on the project because they're the ones who recognize that if adoption isn't happening, it's on them. Something was missed. A requirement was missed. A functionality was missed. Um, we didn't hit the mark on even why we're doing this. Something is array, and they're constantly looking at that from a 360 view. And when I say ownership of adoption, it's not just saying you own adoption. It's actually measuring that adoption. And measuring that adoption, the thing with tools is people can get sneaky, right? You can say, oh, I measured adoption because someone logged into Salesforce today. That's not that's not adoption. That's someone just logging in and logging out of Salesforce and they're still not necessarily using it. So how do I make sure that you've logged in and you're there and you're doing something and you're doing the things we need you to be doing? How do I check all of those? So it, it might not be just one metric on adoption. It could be a couple of KPIs that support your feeling about adoption is at this number. And really taking that, so post go live, that adoption number you have to talk about and say, hey, we're at 50%, but we want to be at 72%. And then we want to be at 94% and really driving that. And it forces those conversations with people who are not participating, who are not excited. It forces all of those things. And that's when you really can say, I've got a success out of this because now we've almost made it, we've altered the way we're working. And that's where a lot of, I think that's another piece of the stumbling block is people think technology fixes your process. Technology doesn't fix your process. Technology is just something that can use to enter information and to support your process. But your process might have to be re-engineered. And 
getting people to do something a different way is not easy, right? They say it takes at least like 30 days to change a behavior or a habit. You know, this is like changing entirely maybe how I've been quoting or running an opportunity or managing my customer from a customer care perspective. Like it takes some time to shift all of that. And we can't, we can't hope that just like I automated something and everyone's just going to find it intuitive and easy. I think a lot of also folks think, well, everything should just be the Apple experience. That was so intuitive. My four-year-old kid can learn how to use my iPhone. And I would love it if everything is the Apple experience, but businesses don't run like the Apple experience of a consumer who's logging in to like, you know, look at TikTok or something like that. That's, that's not, that's not the simplicity of a business. A business is way more complicated right. than and that. It, I mean, we, uh, we all wish that it could be, but it's never, that's never going to be the thing that we, that we get to, you know, and it's, I think that's a valuable thing to kind of say, like, temper your expectations and accept that there's going to be some complexity in the process, because like you said, this is an organization, you know, this is not, this is not one person clicking one app. This is an entire team of people making something happen. Exactly. And that entire team has to work, break something happen in a coordinated effort and in a coordinated way, right? Absolutely. It's not, it's not an individual tweeting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, very uh, different. <laughs> extremely different. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, no, it was wonderful having this conversation. And I hope these insights help people with sort of how do I begin? Because it can feel daunting to mm-hmm. begin. And I think we've all experienced that. And I guess my one closing thought would be is don't be scared. Actually write it down. Draw that picture. Like take that first step. And no one is going to judge you for it. You can keep it as private and closed as you want. I encourage people to share it because the best way to get people to even tell you if it's good or bad is if you share it. Um, And just don't have any ego with it. Share it, let people throw things at it, fix it. But that's what building consensus is all about. In the end, no matter how advanced your technology, instituting real meaningful change all comes down to people. It's having the right voices in the room coming up with ideas, it's identifying and trusting your champions, and it's holding people accountable for embracing these new technologies and integrating them into their workflows and their day-to-day lives. As a team leader, understanding your team's needs, their pain points, and their unique perspectives is the biggest way to move digital transformation forward in a meaningful way. Our thanks to Anandi Narayanan, Jaren Senior Vice President of Strategy and Business Transformation and Manufacturing, for an incredible interview and some incredible insights. You have been listening to Ahead of the Curve, produced by Jarrett in cooperation with Salesforce. I am Jeff Stormer, your host. Thank you so much for listening.